The Block Talk podcast started because of my passion for the property management industry. I wanted to start a conversation and add some value within the industry with a diverse range of people and professionals who can add something extra. As we start out, my aim is that the podcast offers some useful insight into a variety of views, opinions, thoughts, and foresights from our guests who include business leaders and industry experts. If you enjoy the podcast and want to find out any other information, head on over to brianwelsh.co.uk. Hello and welcome to another um, episode of the Block Talk podcast with me, Brian Welsh and Jax Bruce. Um, Jax, how are you doing today? I uh, yeah, I'm good. The sky's looking a little bit grey, Brian, but um, I'm all right today. Yeah, I'm okay. I had a quite a chilled weekend, given it's January. So yeah, how are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very well. Um, a bit a bit busier, but well, a bit more busy for me. I had a fairly hectic weekend and then drove up from the south coast on Sunday. So um, I'm still recovering from a seven-hour drive. I think not to worry. <laughs> Um, thanks, Jax. Um, so as part of our health and well-being series this month and following on from our discussions with Malcolm from the IRPM last week, if you didn't catch that episode, by the way, it's definitely worth a listen. Um, but today we are joined by a qualified mental health first aid trainer to help you manage your mind in 2022. Today we have the pleasure of chatting to Gavin Percy. He's the managing director of Balancing Edges. Following some mental health issues close to him, Gavin decided to specialize in mental health first aid training to improve attitudes to mental health in the workplace. His training leads to improved morale, loyalty, productivity, and employee well-being. So, Gavin, great to have you on. How are you today? Yes, all good, thank you. Um, unlike Jack, the sun is shining in Yorkshire because I'm down in Yorkshire. So, uh, so yes, it's, it's, it's very pleasant here. Thank you. Good, good. Great to have you on. Thanks for joining us. So can you tell us a bit more about your path to specialising in mental health? Yeah, well, my background is is not mental health. My background is actually hospitality. So um, I was a hotel general manager. I uh, moved into senior sales roles, um, became director of sales for the UK for a couple of hotel chains. And then in 2013, I got made redundant. And um, as a result of that redundancy, I decided to start my own consultancy and training business. So that was called Winning Edges. Uh, and Winning Edges still exists, but it's, it's, it's a much uh, smaller part of my, my life now than Balancing Edges. And what happened in uh, 2017, my wife went on uh, the Mental Health First Aid course as a delegate and came back and, and uh, suggested to me, um, which means told me, uh, <laughs> to, go, to go and become an instructor uh, for Mental Health First Aid. So uh, I duly did so, and, and, and there was a number of reasons. One is she told me to. Uh, Second reason, really, and a more serious reason is is uh, I had experienced some mental health issues myself, partly as a res- result of that redundancy, partly as a result of uh, of how I was treated at that particular company, um, and, and previously as well um, had had some mental health issues myself. But also, in my sort of wider circle of friends and relatives, um, I had. Uh, to uh, uh, death by suicide um, in in that circle of friends about the same time, um, and and it was um, something that I felt something needs to be done about. So I did the course, um, and what I didn't expect to happen uh, was that it become my passion. Uh, I, I didn't expect that to be the case, but that's what's happened. It's become my passion and and my life, and and really what's happened now is winning edges is now 
probably 5% of what I do, uh, Balancing Edges, uh, the sister company, which does the mental health and first aid training, uh, is is 95% of what I do. Uh, and that's come about partly because uh, of the nature of what's been happening over the last couple of years, uh, but also because it, it's my passion. Um, and so that's where I am. So I do mental health first aid training and suicide intervention training. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, so last week we spoke to Malcolm Perryman from the IRPM about the findings from their mental health and well-being survey. Um, mm. The response was pretty overwhelming with 100% of people completing the survey, which was long, um, showing, showing how important it was to everybody who took part in it. If you could give one piece of advice to people in the property management industry on how to deal with negativity or even abusive behaviour, what would it be? Yeah, I, I did read that report with with interest. There was a lot of very interesting findings in there, um, and and um, re- regarding dealing with sort of negativity and abusive behaviour, that that really comes as a result of the stigma and discrimination around mental health, and and, and it's the culture of the business that that really needs to change in order for those things to 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 to, to adapt, and that's not easy for an individual to influence. You know, an individual on their own, it's a very difficult position to be in. Uh, it really has to come from the top down. Um, there are things the individual. Can can do and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that shortly but the organization <clears throat> ideally needs to see that there's a return on investment um, from dealing with mental health and well-being in the workplace uh, Deloitte say that there's actually a five to one return for every pound spent on uh, wow. training and development of mental health first aid there's a five pound return to the business so uh, and that's not back of a fact packer that's Deloitte they don't put their names to these things lately um, mm-hmm. uh, and you know if I can get someone to take someone like me to take on to advise them on how to change that culture within the business really uh, and as far as an individual is concerned uh, they, they can they should feel they can talk to HR or occupational health to discuss their feelings uh, and that it's okay uh, not to be okay um, mm-hmm. that stigma discrimination is reducing I think that's one good thing that's come out of the pandemic actually is people being more open about their mental health uh, but it's still there um, that discrimination and that stigma uh, and it's evidence to be stronger strongest in male dominated industries um, such as construction um, and armed forces but it's also strong in other industries uh, including my own hospitality um, so it's a long journey uh, it's one of constant improvement um, I would suggest people read the Stevenson and Farmer report, which is called Thriving at Work, and that's easily found on Google. Um, and it's a great start at companies, how they can put things in place. Uh, and there's also the Mental Health at Work website, uh, which is mentalhealthatwork.org.uk, is also really good for some advice on how companies, uh, not so much the individuals, which is the question you asked me, I know, but, but, but companies, yeah. uh, about how they can um, look at their culture within their business. So there's two good sources of information for them. Um, but I hope that's helpful. Okay, no, 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 very much so, and we'll 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 list those two those references when we when we post this. Um, so, in the report, there was an area that I would like to discuss in more detail, and that was the support given to the respondents by their employers and their trade bodies. Mm, um, mm. Both of them um, seem to fall short of of expectations. Yes, um, and I'd just like to tell me what you think about that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and it, and it goes a little bit about what I said in the last question, really, around the culture of the business. What that shows me is there's there's a shortfall uh, within those businesses um, where it's it's perhaps not OK to be uh, not, not OK to not be OK. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really what, what I think it's important that we do create that culture. So things like the Stevenson Farmer report I talked about in the, the Mental Health at Work uh, website that I talked 
about uh, and make sure that people do feel they can open up about their mental health um, and that they get the support and help that they need. So that could be through things like mental health first aiders in the workplace. That could be by having people in HR and occupational health that, that understand that area and are able to give the support that they need. That line managers are sympathetic uh, to people who um, open up about their mental health. Uh, and, you know, it's not there's, there's something called uh, toxic masculinity. I don't know if you've heard that expression. Before, I haven't, no. Well, toxic masculinity is really all about this sort of man-up society, if you like. Just get on with it. Don't be a girl's blouse. You know, things like that. Males, um, and it's just, it is a gender stereotype. I'm aware of that. And that is changing um, as the genders become become more fluid. But but it's still there, this, this toxic masculinity where males don't feel they can up about their mental health because it would show weakness, you know? Um, uh-huh. And that's what it's about. And it discourages that openness because people feel that they, they need to be strong um, and, and you know, it's actually stronger to talk about it. That's something they don't understand. That it's actually stronger to talk about it. Uh-huh. Women, on the other side, um, will will tend to talk to friends and family about their, their issues and problems and, and open up to people and that will make them feel better and they'll feel open, more open about that and they're also more likely to be open in the workplace. So is that toxic masculinity can create quite a, a negative atmosphere in terms of their mental health and people don't get the help that they need. And that five to one return from Deloitte that I spoke about earlier, you know, that's evidence based, you know, and it, and it costs the costs of poor mental health in the workplace, which is in the same report, exceed 42 billion pounds a year. Yeah. That's the cost of poor mental health in the workplace. So that includes things like low productivity, low morale, absenteeism, presenteeism, high staff turnover, all those things. And simple strategies can improve things. There's actually a case study uh, by, uh, from Parcel Force from 2017, I think it was. Uh, they did a whole exercise on uh, improving mental health and well-being. So not just mental health. They looked at things like smoking, drinking, taking drugs. But they also looked at mental health of their employees as well. They did a big program on it. Uh, spent, no doubt, quite a lot of money. But they were able to evidence um, and demonstrate that they made £1 million extra profit to the bottom line as a result of that initiative. And, and wow. for all the reasons I just gave, you know, those things like low productivity, low morale, absenteeism, presenteeism, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and interestingly, Brian, as well, you know, presenteeism, that's that's going to work when you're not really well enough to go to work, but you go because you think you should kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that presenteeism costs twice as much more to the business than absenteeism. Because people are not wow. being effective, they're, they're yeah. causing toxic relation, to, toxic relationships within the workplace. They might be uh, losing their temper all the time. They might not be friendly with their uh, colleagues. You know, all those things that can happen when we're feeling low about ourselves uh, creates uh, a toxic relationship within the business. Um, so that's really what that um, what that's all about. So I think that that culture within the business is the is the really important thing that I feel uh, that demonstrates is is lacking. And the trade body, interestingly as well, the trade body uh, was the similar result. And I think that shows that the trade body needs to look at how they're supporting their members um, uh, as well. That's really interesting. So I've never actually ha- heard the the term pres- presenteeism. Yeah. Thank you. You'll have to say it for me because I won't be able to. I've never heard that phrase before. But yeah, mm. I mean, going to work when. You don't feel as if you want to, or or, mm. or, or but feel as if you have to, mm. Um, mm. is actually are you saying double can cause double the the amount of um, non non productive time? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That is that is real food for thought. 
And that's in the same Deloitte report, by the way, as uh, the other stuff that I talked about. Right, okay, 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 that's interesting. I must read that. Um, so, you know, you've talked about, you know, this um, toxic, toxic masculinity and also, you know, um, men, you know, finding it more difficult to kind of talk about these sort of things. So think about it a slightly different way. How can people generally kind of practice self-care? Mm. Um, is, is that a thing and, and how would how would that play out? Yeah, it is. It is definitely a thing, and it's it's a really important thing. And uh, and, and I, I in the training that we do, we talk about something called the stress container. And the stress container, everyone's got a stress container, but everyone's stress container is different in size. Some people have got very small stress containers, and the the smallest thing will set them will will, will overflow their stress container. Other people have very huge stress containers and can take loads of stress and strain before it overflows. Okay. Uh, I mean, Boris Johnson must have the biggest stress container in the world, by the way. Uh, so, so these this this is what our fundamental thing is around self care, because what we've got to try and do is stop our stress container from overflowing. Uh, so, what we need to do is we need to create a tap on that container to release the stress, because uh, we all need a level of stress. There's a level of stress in everything we do. You know, we we uh-huh. we, we can thrive on stress. It's where it becomes uh, where it overflows, and we start demonstrating what they call a stress signature. Uh, that's really where the problems occur. So, my stress signature, for example, is I I lose my temper. I I I get uh, irritable, I get angry, I shout at the kids, I shout at the dog, I shout at the wife, I shout at the, the guy in the car next to me in the traffic jam. You know, that's how my stress signature shows itself. But different people show different stress signatures. So some people will go under the duvet, some people withdraw, uh, some people cry and run off to the toilet. You know, every people do different things. And you'll recognize what your own stress signature is, just as I recognize what mine is. And you probably recognize people close to you what their stress signature is. But really what we should be trying to do is stop our stress stress bucket from stress container from overflowing so that stress uh, signature doesn't demonstrate itself and we need that tap and that tap is these self care strategies so yep. there's 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 what we call uh, um positive coping strategies and there's negative coping strategies so the positive coping strategies my main go to coping strategy is what i've just done before this call which is walk the dog so I, I will walk the dog, take him for a long walk uh, over the fields. He'll have a great time. I get to hopefully get a bit fitter. Uh, but the main thing I get on that walk is I get headspace. I get headspace to think what's in my stress container. How can I get things out of there? What can I do to, to reduce my stress levels? That's what I do on a long walk with a dog. And I value that walk and I value that time and I value what I'm doing. That's not my only stress, uh, my only coping strategy, but that's the main one I, I go to. But I have others that I use as well. We, don't, we all need a suite of coping strategies. And what works for me might not work for you or for Jax. You know, different people yeah. have different things that, they, that work for them. My wife, for example, uh, she keeps a journal. Now, that works for her as her coping strategy. That works for her. But for me, that would add extra stress to my stress container because I'd be thinking, oh, my God, I've got to go upstairs and write this bloody book thing. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Oh, my God, I can't be bothered. But I've got to do it, and I'd be putting more stress on myself. So for me, that wouldn't work. Uh-huh. Uh, but but for her, it does. So so it's a very individual thing is really what I'm saying. What self-care is, is important for everyone to do. But what works for people is very individual. There's no magic bullet. It's up to the individual to find what works for them. And sometimes you need to try a few things to find out what works for you. But there's sleeping apps. There's, there's uh, um, meditation apps. There's things you can do to look after your well-being. If you, one of the tips I give people is to say, what did you used to do when you used to have time? 
because but life's so busy, isn't it? We're all busy at mm -hmm. work. Yeah. We're all busy at home with family. We've got friends. We've got relationship uh, going on. We've got stuff happening in our lives all the time, and we don't have time for ourselves. So I say to people, what did you used to do when you used to have time? And one of my, my other coping strategies is I listened to my vinyl records. Well, I had them in the garage for probably 20, 25 years because I didn't have a turntable. Uh, and I thought to myself, actually, I'm going to get myself a turntable. I'm going to get those records out of the uh, out of the garage, and I'm going to play them. But it's not just the playing the music. Now, the music takes me back to that time because the the records are generally sort of 80s, 70s, and 80s music. It takes me back to that time, what I was doing at that time. But also reading the sleeves, reading the reading the uh, the the lyrics on there, seeing where the band members are now. It's not just listening to the music. It's a whole experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that's a coping strategy because that's what I used to do when I was a kid um, yeah. or, a, or a teenager. So that's, that's an, an example of the sort of thing. But it could be something for some people. It could be as simple as having a hot bath, some candles and some soft music. It could be going to a yoga class. It could be uh, going for a long walk. It could be going down the beach and seeing the, the sunset. You know, it can be different things for different people. And the important thing is to find what that is that works for you. Um, there is an acronym, uh, there is a, not an acronym, an initiative by the NHS called the Five Ways to Wellbeing. Uh -huh. And the Five Ways to Wellbeing, you can, you can, again, you can Google that very easily and it will come up. And the five things are connect. And what connect means is uh, talking to friends and relatives, basically, about your, about your, how you're feeling. Be active, so getting exercise. Uh, I mean, it's been proven that a half hour of strenuous exercise every day is as good for your brain chemistry as an antidepressant tablet. Oh, wow. So a half hour strenuous exercise a day for different people will mean different things. How it's defined is getting a bit of a sweat on, okay? Yeah, a, bit, okay. a bit crude, but that's, that's it. So if you get a bit of a sweat on, and for one person that could be walking around the block, for another person that could be going for a 5K run. Yeah. Different people, different things. Taking notice, that is about taking notice. Like, for example, my walk, making sure I take notice of where I'm going, looking at the view, admiring the view, taking notice of things. Uh, keep learning. Our brain chemistry likes to keep learning. So if we're learning new things, we feel good about ourselves. And that could be something very simple. It could be something very complex, uh, going on a, an MBA course or something like that. Yeah. And then the last one is give. And actually, that's, again, about brain chemistry. Our brain loves giving things. So giving, doing a random act of kindness or working in a soup kitchen or working in a charity shop or giving our time to somebody or giving money to charity. These things are all things that, that, that make you feel good about yourself. So whilst it's a very generous thing to do, it's also a bit of a selfish thing to do because you're actually yeah. looking after yourself. Um, and, and so those are the five ways of well-being. They're also coping strategies. They're also self-care self strategies. Okay. Um, well, just one more thing before I, before I finish that. There's, there's also something that I recommend people do, which is a happiness error. And a happiness hour is something that people should do at least once a week. And it's something you do for yourself, something for you, not for your wife, not for your partner, not for your kids, not for your friends, for you. And it's quite a selfish thing to do, but it's also something, again, that you can appreciate and, and, and value that time that you're doing. And it's a similar sort of things we talked about, you know, a yoga class or taking a walk down the beach or, or, uh, or listening to vinyl records, in my case. You know, those are the kind of things that you could be talking about for a happiness hour. But the important thing about the happiness hour is appreciating what you've done and realizing that was such a valuable hour. I've really, really valued the hour that I've done that, and I've really enjoyed it and, and appreciating what you've done. That's, that's really what that is. Um, and, and then just to talk about the, the poor coping strategies, the negative coping strategies, um, in my case, that generally involves a bottle of red wine. 
Okay, so that's a negative coping strategy. Unfortunately, alcohol is a depressant. It's not good for you. Um, and so if you've had that bottle of red wine, the next morning you're not feeling too clever. So you may not um, engage with social activities or work activities as well as you would do before. That just adds stress to your stress container. Other negative mm -hmm. coping strategies are things like um, self-medicating with alcohol and drugs, gambling, excessive gaming, things like that would all be negative coping strategies that people can do. And they need to recognize all that's going to do is add more stress back in the stream, stress container again. Uh -huh. but, but really, it's all very individual and it's a bit of taste and try before you buy. It's kind of try different things out and, and see what works for you and, and, and uh, what makes you feel good. That that That's extremely extremely interesting I, I use that phrase a lot and someone told me i say that's interesting quite a lot but that really was interesting the most <laughs> interesting thing about it was that i think i'm very similar to you given what you said is the way your stress kind of um, mm. plays out um, certainly i could definitely relate to the negative um, um uh, kind of thing you were talking about there with the wine yes. and, um, and actually and actually, although he just left my, well, it's not my dog, he's my partner's dog, actually. Um, but I have to say that one of the one of the clearest kind of times that I get to actually think, because one of my biggest problems is actually getting some time where you can think about things. That's always my uh, a huge difficulty, because there's 101 other things trying to kind of push that, doing that out the way. That's always actually, a problem, Brian, yeah. Yeah, and actually walking the dog is the is is the point if i'm on my own walking walking arthur that is the point where i i most or i easily um can kind of think about things so mm. no that was that was that was that was um very useful very useful Good. Um, so so what approach should people take to look after the mental health and well-being then yeah i mean all those self-help strategies we've just talked about are, are are all relevant um and a great start uh and i think for me um particularly with on the male gender um, but, but all genders um, should also uh, make sure they do this is, is being open and talking to friends um, okay. and that could be friends family colleagues for me that's a big one uh, and and particularly with the gender specific uh, males should try to ensure they're not falling into that toxic masculinity trap um, and feel that they're trying to put this brave face on things because that isn't going to to help them and i do think that the uh, the pandemic has helped people to open up a little bit more about their mental health. Um, but if things don't improve with by talking to friends and family, then don't hesitate to go and see the GP. Uh, the mm -hmm. GP is the first stop uh, for people who, who are struggling with their mental health. Their primary care, they're called primary care for a reason. It's the first place you go. The way the NHS works is you go and see your GP. They will then refer you to specialists if required. But also National Institute of Clinical Excellence put great uh, guidelines into into help doctors to know how to deal with mental health issues uh, and that's something a lot of the public don't realize that, that that gps are actually equipped to deal with mental health issues they're not just for colds and coughs and, and so on sure um, and and uh, in fact just today uh, the nice the national institute of clinical excellence put new guidelines out about dealing with self-harm so these things are being updated regularly and and the gps have access to all of that um and it's not just about giving you some pills to to make you feel better uh, yeah. gps do now have a sort of very balanced uh, approach to to mental health which may include talking therapies um or or the um Mind Matters website, which is the NHS um, uh, mental health uh, section of the NHS website called Mind Matters. There's lots of support in there that they might refer people to as well.
Wow, great. That's that's good. That's good. So so this is this you you built a business around around this now, and it's it's a ninety five percent of what you do, as as you mentioned earlier. So can you yeah. tell us more about your training courses, mm-hmm. who they're for, how do they help, these sort of things? Sure, sure. Uh, well, I'm qualified to train all of the Mental Health First Aid England uh, adult courses. So there's there's four of those. Uh, there's the Mental Health First Aid course, which is the uh, two-day face-to-face course, um, or it's available online in a slightly different format. Um, there's the Mental Health Champion course, which is a one-day course face-to-face, or it's delivered as two half days on a uh, on Zoom. Uh, then there's a mental health awareness course, which is a half-day course, and it's the same course face-to-face or uh, online. Uh, and there's the mental health um, first aid refresher course. That's for people who've done either the mental health first aid course or the champion course three years ago or more. Uh, will need a refresher, uh, and that refresher course is a half-day course again online or face-to-face. And in addition to that, I'm also qualified to train uh, a city and guilds accredited course which is um, developed by NCAPT uh, to train two suicide intervention courses. So these are a half-day course, which is called uh, Suicide First Aid Light, um, and a one-day course, which is called Suicide First Aid uh, Suicide Intervention. Um, So those two courses are available. Again, they can be face-to-face or uh, online. Uh, And all of these courses can be uh, delivered as a open course so i do have open courses available which people can book on um or they can be done as in-house courses where uh, a company wants to put a number of people in any of these courses they can be delivered as a specific in-house course Uh, and all my courses are are, the open courses are available um to book through my website which is uh balancingedges.com so there's a there's a a training section on there that people can see all the courses and 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 book on so so that's how how that would work Brian. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, so this is mainly for um, businesses that that want to have mental health first aiders um, within within their um, within their teams. Yeah. Yeah, it can be that, but also individuals who've got an interest in mental health who yeah. want to learn more. I mean, I've had people on courses who just really want to know more about mental health and and, and yeah. maybe want to develop and become an instructor on mental on mental health first aid uh, yeah. as well. So it can be uh, a, a very wide cross section. Doesn't need to be company employees. It can, it can be individuals that just want okay. to learn more about it and, and do good. Just like physical first aid, Brian. You know, people who do yeah. physical first aid courses may be doing that at work, but they may do that as an individual. Uh, person as well yeah so how do you see the future of mental health going then well i do feel there's been a positive change uh, as we mentioned because of the pandemic um you Uh know people are more open than they were there's no doubt about that Uh, there's still a long way to go uh, but the movement is positive, um, you know, and I can see that continuing and, and, and becoming more and more open as well. So I do think that those that there is um, um, sort of light at the end of the tunnel regarding that stigma and discrimination. Um, but, you know, it's the same with uh, with inclusivity. You know, we think we've got uh, race relations sorted and then the big a big problem occurs you know yeah. that stigma discrimination is still there and it's just it's just what what percentage of the population uh, there are and how strongly they feel about it but uh, making sure there's not a backlash as well though because i think that, you know 
some people see it as being an excuse sometimes, um, and that might become a backlash uh, if we're not careful, if that becomes too strong, um, yeah. or they're, they're just using that as an excuse not to be at work kind of thing. You know, So we yeah. have to be careful yeah. that we don't get that backlash as well and that people do take it seriously because it is serious uh, and not because they think somebody's swinging the lead, basically. Um, yeah. So we, yeah. we do need to be careful about that as well. Yeah, 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 I can understand that. Um, okay, so thanks very much for that. Um, at the end of our um, all of our podcasts, Jax um, jumps in and asks three quirky questions. So thanks very much for, for, for answering all those questions for me and now. Um, yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks, Gavin. Um, I have to say that's one of the, probably one of the most interesting guests for me. Um, I'm really interested in all this stuff and... Mm -hmm. Um, I've been learning a bit about epigenetics as part of my own kind right. of journey to sorting out the, the mental mess that can go on sometimes. And I found what you were saying interesting about the um, presenteeism. That was because, mm. yeah, I mean, I, um, quantum physics, you know, and that kind of energy fields and right. and all that stuff. So that was really interesting. Um, yeah. So the final uh, three quirky questions that I asked then is, um, what's your biggest failure across your entire career and what did you learn from it? Well, um, it's quite interesting because it, it actually goes along with, and I had to, I, I, I did see this question and uh, you did very kindly prepare me for that. And and <laughs> and, uh, and I, I initially I thought, well, do I want to be open about my failure? But actually I, when I wrote down, what my failure is, it made me feel good about it. So it's kind of almost supporting what I've just said about opening up about yourself. And I, I've not yeah. really told anybody else about this. So, oh, wow. uh, so th this is uh, it's quite interesting, really. But my biggest failure uh, was in my last job, uh, where I my last proper job, because obviously I'm working for myself now. But my last proper <laughs> job, and I accepted bullying in the workplace, um, and I failed to address it. I was being bullied in the workplace. Okay, right. Not just me, a whole load of people in that business were, were bullied in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I tried to conform. I tried to accept the culture of that business. It, it severely affected my mental health. Uh, and it also resulted in my performance dropping further because I wasn't feeling valued. I wasn't feeling uh, that I wanted to be there. All those things we talked about earlier on in terms of that uh, that presenteeism, I was definitely uh, uh, practicing presenteeism. Uh, but I learned from that that it's not acceptable and that I should have challenged that. Uh, and it was, but what it's done is it's driven me to do what I do now because mm -hmm. I can see that that business was wrong, frankly. Um, and whilst it got results as a business, it was very short-term thinking because long, a long service award in that company, I was there three and a half years and I almost got a gold watch because they must have been turning over people, uh, you know, every six months. You know, six months service of that company was, was a success. Wow. Um, and, and so you can't run a business that way. You know, no, so I, I, I now realize that it wasn't me that was wrong. It was them. Yeah. Um, and, and what I can see now is that I can help companies to get their culture right um, and to change and be inclusive. Uh, and so I, I didn't even think about that before I saw this question. So I've, I really thank you for this question because well, I realize that's what, probably what's driven me to do what I do now. Probably yeah. that experience, that three and a half years of, of general misery, frankly, um, has driven me to, to, to do what I do now, um, to try and get companies to understand how they need to look after their people. 
Yeah, excellent. Turn the turn the negative into a positive for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, excellent. And it's it's probably quite sad to say that I think most people have probably got a story like that under their under their belt and yeah. You just yeah. hope that most people will will move on from it and do do as you've done and and, mm. and turn it into that positive. So yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um so a bit of a, a bit of a fun one. If you're old world for a day or maybe not, a lot of the, the a lot of the responses are quite serious. We've had a, a couple of fun ones. So um if you're the world for a day, what would you do? Yeah, it's quite a question, isn't it? Um, I think it's one 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 for my sixteen-year-old because he thinks he is going to rule the world one day. Oh, um, so, so yeah. Uh, so what would I do? I mean, I I think I'm going to make a serious answer. I, I did think about putting a flippant one in, um, you know, about my football team or 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 something like that, uh, or actually Scottish rugby was 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 what was going through my mind. How can I come? How can I come up with something that I could do that would help Scottish rugby? Um, uh, so not not shoot itself in the foot every ten minutes. So, um, but I couldn't think of one uh, that, that that made sense. So I have come up with a with a serious one, really. So um, I think it would make a law clear in all countries that reasonable adjustments in the workplace should be made for physical illness, which I think most countries do, but also for mental illness, ensuring that the risk assessments are done, that return to work interviews, appraisals, job chats, job reviews, etc., all cover mental health and are not just a tick box exercise. Yeah. And realise that that mental health is important in the workplace. Um, so I, I'm sorry to give you a serious answer. I did try and think of a flippant one, and I couldn't. Um, so uh, that's my lack of creativity, I think, uh, Jack. So yeah, my so. apologies for that. But, uh, but, but if, if I couldn't think of one, it would be about Scottish rugby. That would be what it would be about, trying to make that uh, better. Yeah, no, I think eighty percent of the responses have been quite serious, and then we've had a couple of one. One of them was uh, banishing felt tip pens from the world. <laughs> that was Val- that was Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was that was uh, that's last week's podcast. So yeah. That was funny. And then and then Ross, who we had on as well, he was wanting to everybody to party. Um, right, so a big party. Right. Yeah, I should I should have thought of that one. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I have to say, I have to say, sorry, Jace. I have to say, I'd be, I'd be definitely um, be um, agree, in agreement about the Scottish rugby one. I think for a good, a good, a good number of the last, I don't know, ten years where I've had four season passes for Murrayfield, I think I've, I've felt it's been a bit of a. A donation, to be honest, but uh, yeah, it's, but but to be fair, um, I mean, what have we got? We've got about two, two or three weeks to Scotland, everyone. So I'm looking forward to that. So. Yeah, well, it's always it's the hope that kills you, Brian, though, isn't it? Every year yeah. we think we think we're going to do well, and every year we we manage to shoot ourselves in the foot. So, so yeah, I guess so. that was putting a law in place that doesn't allow us to shoot ourselves in the foot. I think. <laughs> yeah, good one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you're 70, Gavin, and you look back at your life, what will you be glad you did or feel proud of? Something either you've already done or something that you still want to do? Uh, a bit of both here I've, I've put in. Mm. So so um, I'm actually generally proud of my career so far. You know, I had that three and a half years that perhaps wasn't something to be proud of. But but basically in my in my career, I've, I've progressed and, and, and done really well. But I am actually proudest of what I've done in the last four years because um, it wasn't an area that I've got any previous experience of and I've, I've learned how to deal with that and I've learned all the skills that I've learned I've learned I'm a brilliant well, brilliant trainer he says modestly but I get <laughs> fantastic feedback from my training courses um, so I found my niche I found I was actually quite a good general manager I was a decent uh, sales director I was an okay head of central services uh, 
I've actually found I'm a good trainer. So I found something. It's only taken me uh, 40 years of my career to find what I'm good at, but I've, I've found something that I'm good at now. And I've adapted to that role. And I'm, I, and also, I feel I'm making a difference. Um, yeah. But looking forward... Um, my wife and I have got a clear five-year plan, which we agreed last year. So it's kind of a four-year plan now. Uh, and we've agreed we want to be in 2026. So we are driven to achieve that. Um, and, and that will make me proud. And, and, and part of that five-year plan is we've got a 16-year-old son that I've already mentioned. He, he's autistic. He has cerebral palsy and he's visually impaired. So he has quite a lot of issues going around him. But we're so proud of how he's dealt with his independence and with, with his disabilities and proud of his level of independence. Um, he's done him remarkably well given all those challenges. He's at college now. He's doing a course at college. He, he goes on the bus every day to York for his college course. You know, he, he does all that uh, and... and we never thought when he started to senior school, we were he was on the margins of whether he should go to senior school or go to a, a special school. So mm -hmm. for him to have achieved what he's achieved, I'm extremely proud of that. And he is part of that five-year plan, as I say. And, and I think looking forward, my proud moment will be when we are able to hand him keys to his own flat in 2026 or earlier. Um, yeah. So so that's our that's what will make me proudest. Oh, that's lovely. I'm, I just I'm got emotional. Yeah, I was, I was, about, to, yeah, well, I was I about, I was about, about to be emotional myself there, but yeah. So that, so that, that's that would be, that would be something that made me proud in twenty twenty six or before. Oh, good, great. That's my questions over. Thank People you. want to get in touch with you, Gavin. Uh, yeah, well, the, the website has a, a contact uh, area on it, um, but or you can email me. My email address is gavin.percy at balancingedges.com, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, so people can find me on LinkedIn and and uh, and, and, and ask me to to, to uh, connect with them. I'm very happy to do that. Um, so, so yeah, any of those – I'm on all social media platforms, but my, my platform of choice is LinkedIn. So if you want to do that, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Oh, that's all, all that's left for me to say is, Gavin, that's been absolutely fabulous. I'm I'm so glad you decided to come on or, or agreed to come on. Um, that's been that's been really 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 useful, and, and I hope everyone listening has found it as useful as I did. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> Thank you.